So we're in Luke 8, 4 through 15, and we're starting a new section of Luke. And so if you recall our last section of Luke, our little sentence was that in the last section, Jesus's identity was called into question, and therefore the kind of faith we should have in him was considered And so now we're moving in Luke 8, uh, 4, with the parable of the sower. We're moving into a different section. And in this section of Luke, Jesus urges a response. It's, It's real intentional. There's a shift there. He's urging response. And then given the fact that there are all kinds of obstacles to a right, a life-giving, life-changing, genuine response to Jesus. He also stresses Jesus' authority. Kind of encourages us when we think of all the obstacles, challenges, strongholds, enemies, that he says, no, he's more than enough. All right, respond to me. And so the section we're looking at really is Jesus' most prominent parable. It's most we- likely the most well-known One preacher calls it the king of the parables. It tends to come with the first of a number of parables. Mark would say, look, if you don't understand this one, you can't understand any of them. You know, Mark's serious emphasis in in this parable shows the emphasis of the word. You know, the kingdom and the word of the kingdom. How important that is. And one of the ways... uh, Luke shows its importance in the gospel is that he marks a turning point in Jesus' ministry with this parable because Jesus at this point increasingly stresses that response he wants to see. Like you've seen me, you've seen what I've done and he's pressing for response. And furthermore, given that the crowd is kind of ambivalent, that he begins to focus not so much on the superficial listener but on the sincere learner, or not so much on the curious as to the committed. And increasingly in Luke, you're gonna see that focus, that shift. They can overhear, but that's where his focus is. And remember what we said last week about part of the pattern of Jesus's ministry, that wonderful phrase, concentration leads to multiplication. He digs deep with a few in order to extend his influence wide. And that's why here we we desire, we endeavor to go deep. And I wanted to repeat that phrase with former Pastor Tim Fortner here and former First Lady Anna Fortner here. Because that's been the heart of Longdale's ministry for years. They're 20 plus, 23 plus years here. We see the fruit in our local body. We're thankful for that. Tim's just developed a discipleship book called Reproducing Reproducers. It's the idea. He's sinking deep with a few, increasingly in Luke, in order that extension of his influence goes goes wide. So I'm calling this parable, if you see the title, not the parable of the sower, as we customarily do. Tim agrees with me on this one but the parable of the soils, because that's where the stress is. It's on the soils. 
the parable urges you as we go to read it, you know, how are you responding to the word? What kind of soil do you have? Now, how am I responding now, right now, today? But the emphasis of the, 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 the parable is even broader. It's like, how do I tend to respond? Like, what's the pattern of my life response to the word of God? As I look at myself and examine myself, what would I say about me in the way I tend to respond? What does it say about my heart? What kind of heart do I have and why is that the case? Real instructive. And so this is underscored in verse eight. We'll get to it. When Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He puts the emphasis on the person's response. Like how are you hearing? Or in verse 18, we won't read today, but take care then how you hear. There's a way we hear. All of us know that. We can kind of hear things in our periphery all day long, but how are you, is it hearing to heed it, to take it deep? So the main idea is that the growth of the seed depends on the condition of the heart. We don't do all of our theology in this parable, there's more to say, but that's the stress of this parable. The growth of the seed depends on the condition of your heart. A gardener will tell you that. There's a host of different factors, but in large part, the growth of the seed depends upon the soil in which I plant that seed. Well, let's read God's word, Luke 8, 4 through, 4 through 15. And when a great crowd was gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable... A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to you, It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. 
And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hear, who hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So the grass withers, the flowers fade, this good word endures forever. This is a famous prayer of illumination. Let's pray it together. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us that we may hear, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life that you have given to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So three points. Uh, Jesus' illustration. Then Jesus' intent. And then Jesus' interpretation. Illustration, intent, interpretation. So very easily divided that way. So first, just the illustration itself. I mean, the parable is an illustration. In verse one of this parable or this account, we see that um, the pattern of Jesus's ministry, remember last week, he went everywhere. He didn't just go to the big cities, he went to the small cities. He's so humble. He wants to give his personal presence to people in a very small community. And so he's gone everywhere, indiscriminately, generously, and he's preached the gospel of the kingdom. And so now in verse four, it indicates just how popular his preaching has been. It's been captivating. And so now a great crowd gathers around him from town after town. They're just streaming to him all over the place. And so Jesus is there. He's got his disciples close by. And he, he's watching all these people approach him from all the towns and villages. I mean, that is what he wanted, and yet he looks at them, and so he tells this parable as they arrive. And it's not just a parable to the crowd to instruct them, but it's also a parable about the crowd. He's diagnosing the crowd, speaking about the hearts of those in the crowd. There's all kinds of reasons why a person would see a bunch of folks leaving their community and going to hear a great preacher and wanting to tag along and jump on board. All kinds of reasons. A crowd begets a crowd. We know that. We've seen that. As we have more demonstrations, protests, processions, or whatever, a crowd begets a crowd. People just join up. These people may not be clear even why they became a part of this crowd going out to Jesus. You see, as Calvin said, it's important to know ourself and also know God. Our growth depends on both, to know ourself and to know God. And Jesus helped them, helping them know themselves with this parable. So Jesus describes the nature and the character of the hearts of the people coming out to him. And there are various reasons we may have come today, right? On any given Sunday. We bring a lot in with us, a lot of thoughts in with us, maybe different reasons for 
assembling this morning. And so it's important for us to say like, why am I here? What do I hope to receive this morning? What do I hope to do this morning? And so Jesus tells a story of a sower, seeds and soils. Those are the elements of the parable. Very easy, very direct, straightforward. Sower, seeds, soils. A sower went out to sow seed. It's just masterful, masterful preaching. It's just an ordinary feature of Palestinian life. People had seen it a thousand times. A sower going out to sow a seed. It was essential for their life, their community. It's so visual. So a sower goes out to his field, he has this bag of wheat or barley or corn slung over his shoulder. He walks along and he flings a handful along the rows of his field. And as he throws out the seed, he'll then till up the soil. Most likely that's what happened. They throw it out first in Palestine, probably, and then they till it up afterwards. And the seed he tosses falls on four different places as he throws it out. Some falls along a pathway through the field, maybe even the pathway that he's trotting, and so that it's trampled by people walking on the path and also eaten up by birds. Birds you don't see, but then they spy this seed along this hard-baked pathway, and they swoop in for a meal. And then some falls on rocky soil, this very shallow soil common in Palestine and has this unseen issue or obstacle with that soil in that there's a lot of limestone in Palestine and sometimes this limestone substrata would be very high, raised in that area. And so it caused the soil, you didn't realize it, but it would cause the soil to be very shallow and superficial. So the seed springs up, but since the moisture in such minimal ground soon dries up, evaporates, the seed quickly withers. It just doesn't have the requisite moisture to grow. And then some falls on good soil, but soil also full of thorn plants or probably unseen thorn seeds, another unseen danger. And these thorn plants are are greedy neighbors. I like that. One commentator calls them greedy neighbors. They can grow to six feet tall, these types of thorns. And so these thorns or thistles quickly grow. They grow along with the good seed for a while. But then they overwhelm them, overpower them, and they absorb all the nutrients from the soil and starve and strangle out any other plants. They they become it. There's just not enough to go around. They, They suck it all up to themselves. And finally, some falls on good soil. We hope most of it falls on good soil. We hope. So just notice the prepositions in the parable. The first soil, it went along the pathway. Second, on the rocky soil. Third, among the thorny ground. But it's only here that we have the seed fell into the soil. Like the word of God can go among, on, along, but what we want it is to go into, to go deep, to go deep, this morning, to go deep. And so this seed that goes in, it grows and yields this amazing harvest, even a hundredfold increase. If you recall Matthew's virgin, you know, 30, 60, 100. Luke just jumps on 100, like it's going a hundredfold. You get it deep, it's going 100. And then Jesus calls out to everybody at the conclusion of this parable, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Like, I want you to be this soil. You know, first, the way of hearing. The emphasis is on your responsibility. It's on us here in this parable. So Jesus' intention, and this is a rich section, but Jesus tells this illustration I mean, there's only three elements, it's pretty clear, and yet the disciples come to him, they have an inkling that more's going on than what they're hearing, so they gather around him, and it's not just the, the 12, but it's the wider group of disciples. So the 12 of the wider group, I hope that's a, a big group. You know, last week we looked at a, many women that accompanied Jesus as he traveled around to the big cities and the small towns preaching. So this group is around him. And they ask him the meaning of the parable, and he replies, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now that's, there's a lot going on in that enigmatic way Jesus speaks there and so Jesus is saying, what Jesus intends here is that the purpose of the parables is to divide people into two groups. Like he, he's dividing right now. He's looking at this crowd approaching him. He's dividing them into two groups. All of scripture does that. You know, Luke at the beginning, he's gonna cause a falling and rising of many of Israel and expose the hearts of men. And so he's doing that here. So on the one hand, on the one group, you have these committed disciples. They're, they're gathered with Jesus. They're ready to hear earnestly seeking him. Like they're with him. So for them, Jesus is saying the parables are, are pleasing. They're stirring illustrations that, that move you and impress you with spiritual truth. And that truth is nothing less than the secret of the mystery of the kingdom of God. And that's the revealing function of the parables. There's a revealing function. So Jesus has said, you must come to the parables with a believing heart. You must come to the parables embracing me, like with me, to, to benefit from them. That's our responsibility. So what kind of heart do we bring to the parables? At the same time, Jesus is looking at them and notice that passive to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. On, on, on the one hand, we have, you know, they're with Jesus, so they've gathered with Jesus. So since they're with Jesus and have them with them, like, he's there to explain it. And, and it's a way in which Jesus is saying, look, the, the, the reason you're around me is not because of anything in you. You didn't distance yourself from the pack, it's grace. Like, you're with me and I'm gonna give it to you by grace. And even behind that, you know, you had that subtle note that yes, God's sovereignty is behind it all. It always is. You know, 1 Corinthians 2.12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things freely given to us of God. You know, God moves and changes a heart by sovereign grace, and yet sovereign grace is never something that results in our sitting back and being passive. That, that's an unbiblical use of the beauties of God's sovereign grace. And so this parable focuses on that responsibility. We could think of Philippians 2, 11, and 12, you know, work out 
your salvation. Why? Because God is working in you. Like it doesn't say sit back and do nothing because God is working. You know, that's just an unbiblical use of biblical truth. And he's saying, look, God's sovereignty, yes. I mean, you can't come to Christ unless God draws you, but this is your responsibility. But on the other side, you have this curious crowd. They're, they're casual, maybe. Maybe they're even critical. Um, and so they come out to see Jesus, too. And Jesus is saying to them, I'm, I'm telling the parable so that seeing they may not see, hearing they may not hear. That's a purpose statement. Like, why would he do that? But it goes back to Isaiah 6, 9. And Isaiah 6, 9 is a judgment on Israel because for years and years they've been obstinate. They've, been, they've refused to respond. They've ignored God's appeals to them for years and years and years. And so God looks at them and says, I'm, I'm judging you. My prophet's gonna speak, but the result of that in your life is that you won't be able to hear, you won't be able to see. It's, it's this fearsome judging function is the concealing function of the parables and the word in particular. Something's always going on. And yet at the same token, there's grace behind this too because you see the biblical principle is the greater the knowledge, the greater the responsibility. Like you and I have tons of responsibility because we have tons of knowledge. The, the clearer the light, the more the accountability. And Jesus is saying, look, you're not responding well, so I'm just not gonna tell you truth anymore because that increases your accountability if you're not gonna respond. Furthermore, in Isaiah, though he judges the people, the point of their judging is he sends a redeemer to deliver them. There's always hope and always grace offered. So for us today, it's important to know that the word is always doing something. Whenever we hear the word, in whatever venue, we're always, it's all, something's always happening. Is it revealing or concealing? Is the heart being enlightened or darkened in judgment? And we think on our personal responsibility, you know, Hebrews 4 says, you know, why didn't the gospel impact them? Well, the writer of Hebrews says, well, they didn't combine it with faith. I just didn't do it. So it didn't have its effect. Well, the interpretation, Jesus's interpretation. So the sower in the first place is Jesus. Matthew makes that clear, but it's very obvious. In the whole context, he's the one preaching the gospel in all the towns and villages. And verse nine and 10, the disciples ask him for the explanation. He's in first place the preacher. He's always the preacher. It's Jesus. Secondarily, it's anyone who speaks Jesus' word. Anyone, at any time. It's you. When you speak gospel truth to your kids, your spouse, your friends, someone you don't know, like you represent and become the voice of Christ to them. Secondarily, it refers to that, and especially in the Lord's Day, since it's the high point of our week, Christ speaks to you and addresses you this morning. Two quick thoughts on the sower. First, it's just that the sower wouldn't be sowing if he didn't want a harvest. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus wants a harvest among you. Like he wants that hundredfold harvest or he wouldn't be out there. <laughs> and then just the humility of Christ, like he's the king who issues edicts and proclamations. And yet he styles himself humbly as just a guy who's walking his property and throwing out seed. I love the humility of Christ, different king. And third, 
Just notice nothing is said about the sower. Like he just does not get any attention except that he throws seed out. And once again, it just tells us that the skill of the preacher, that's good news to you, the skill of the preacher isn't the deciding factor. We, lo- we live in a culture that, you know, among Christians that we love become aficionados of preaching and that's wonderful, wonderful. Just remember and all of that, that that's not the emphasis here. It's the soil of the person, the heart of the person that's the stress, the deciding factor. We're to examine our hearts. So then we look at the word of God. What is the word of God, Jesus? Well, what's the seed? Jesus says it's the word of God and it's specifically the gospel, the kingdom. said a king has come to fix the world. And he mainly addresses your heart. That's the battlefield. Of all battlefields, it's your heart. You, you possess a battlefield. And he's come to take that heart that's so erratic and, and, and difficult to deal with and put it under his lordship. And it moves out into the whole world. He, he has an agenda where he's gonna transform all things, everything, all dimensions of the fall. He came to fix, he's a gracious king that came to fix this fallen creation and it ultimately finds expression in a way nobody at this point knows and that's the cross and resurrection of Christ and Jesus knows it. They don't really know it. And just notice also that the proclamation of the word is not a weak thing but a powerful thing. I mean this, so, this seed isn't some kind of lame, weak seed. It has hundredfold potency the power of God unto salvation is the word of God, bringing us from death to life. And so just think about the soils here. Just recognize that Jesus is talking about different heart responses to a bunch of people that made a lot of effort because they're interested in Jesus and they're coming out to him, skipping work, gathering their lunch together to come see Jesus. They're not staying at home. They are coming. They're interested. And just, it's a warning to us that we can occupy certain places and maybe our heart be far, far away. The soil is the heart of the believer, the heart of the hearer. First and the fourth soil makes that explicit. There are four different types of soil, four different heart responses to the gospel. And no matter how much we're moved or interested, there's only one that issues in true fruit, that saving fruit. Only one heart is really converted here. So the first heart is the indifferent heart. The indifferent heart. And this is the pathway in which the seed is trampled underfoot and devoured by birds, those birds that are unseen at first. There's always unseen obstacles. And so the heart of this hearer is so committed to other things, so cold towards the gospel, even critical of Jesus, that the word just doesn't have a chance, humanly speaking, to penetrate the heart. There's just too much. It's like Teflon, it bounces off. Think of Simon the Pharisee sitting back He invited Jesus over, but he's so cool towards him, kind of sizing him up. The word bounces off like like seed falling on a sun-baked path. Just can't penetrate. And the, the fact it's trampled underfoot, which is a detail only Luke includes, kind of suggests that there's even contempt for the message and the messenger. They just step on it, they grind it, in the dirt. 
I mean, that doesn't have to be an outright hostility. It could just be like, I'm just insulated from it. I've got other things I'm dealing with. We could be a, a professional listener. Like, I know how to sit through an hour-long worship service. <laughs> you know, I'm good at that. But we have to look at our hearts. I'm like, am I here wanting to take it in? Even when it's tough sometimes. Even the sower needs some help in the way he's sowing. Am I, am I taking it in? Or like Ezekiel, the prophet in the Old Testament, he was a great preacher, you know, and Ezekiel 33 says the people just won't respond to his message, and, but they go to him all the time. They, they flock to him because they love the way he talks. They say, you, you, talk, you talk like somebody who sings love songs. They're beautiful songs, but they have no inkling of what he really is trying to say, nor intent to ever put it into practice, but they love to hear it. And we can be those that just love to hear it, but we aren't going to change at all. I've got my way of doing things. And we trample it, whether it's a civil way or whether it's an obstinate way, it's trampling. And along with this fact is that there's an unseen evil one always at work. He's very active. He's like a bird that's hovering in the air that we don't see at first, but he swoops in and gets the seed and snatches it away before it ever has any time to do anything, get down the soil and germinate and do anything. When the gospel is preached in any venue, there is spiritual warfare. It's just going to be spiritual warfare. The devil does not want you to know how gracious your redeemer is. He wants you to miss knowing how gracious your redeemer is. He's a pearl of great price. He just hates him so much. He hates people that come to know him. And just expect it. If you get cool towards it or it becomes boring to you, it's like banging your head against the wall to read the word one morning. It, just know that something like that is going on. It's serious business. And then second, the impulsive heart, the second soil. This is the shallow soil over the rock substrata in which a seed falls, it springs up, but then it dies because the soil just dries out quickly. So Jesus says it refers to those who hear the gospel and they react with joy. Like there's an incredible emotional response. There's this cathartic flood of emotion and that can be good, I mean, we want that, you know. Yet in this case, the heart is impulsive and erratic and maybe it's even quick to go to enthusiasm. Maybe it's even looking for it, like enjoying an emotional lift, an intense emotive experience. You know, in our, our culture, we like that. Like you watch America's Got Talent or something and they interview somebody, that they want that moment in which the tear comes, in which everything comes together. Like we like it, I mean, I like it, but... You know, Jonathan Edwards, back in the first grade awakening, he writes, um, what is it? Thoughts on religious affections. And what had happened is a lot of people come under the grips of the gospel in a big way and there's a lot of emotional responses. And people started criticizing them. And, and Edwards goes, no, wait a second. True Christianity has tons to do with your emotions. Like it's about your affections. Like you ought to have joy, you ought to have grief. You ought to be elated, relieved, all of that. Like, True religion will have affections to it. But it's not the intensity of the emotional experience that defines the reality of your commitment to Jesus. It's how it affects your life. So that's how he balances it out. And Jesus is saying something about the same thing. What, what proves the genuineness of our hearing, of the reception of the word is a person's faith, especially as, as that person has to encounter testing. So, so 1 Peter 
one says, you know, testing is necessary, that, that gold needs to be refined by fire to know if it's even legit gold. And so the testing's gonna come in a fallen world, it'll always come. And God will use it to show you the genuineness of your faith response to him. And so we were going to encounter testing. I remember years ago, this young man was, I thought converted and I hope he is. But he made a public profession of faith and then I didn't see him for about a month. And I finally found him and he said, you know, ever, ever since I professed faith in your church, everything has gone from bad to worse. Everything's going wrong, everything. And for a while he strayed away. It caught him by surprise, but you will be tested. And those testings are tough. A lot of you have gone through very serious testing in your life. Sometimes it's just the grind, it's just the weariness. It's just the difficulty of living in a fallen world. Sometimes it's a trauma, shattered dream. Host of different things. And in that moment where we're tempted just to say it's not working, you know, like that Annie Johnson Flint hymn, God hath not promised, we shall not know. Toil and temptation, trouble and woe. He has not told us we shall not bear many a burden, many a care. Like he hadn't promised that. In fact, he promised you will. But what makes it all different is that other stanza it says, but God hath promised. Strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way. Grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. That's where we go. That test is that moment where you root yourself into Christ and say, I, he's, he's my all, he gives me strength. He, he transforms this situation. We don't, we don't fall away. Then the third is the preoccupied heart. This is the thorny soil among which the seed falls and the thorns quickly grow. They grow along with it since as we know, all gardeners, or even if you're not a gardener, but when you're working in your yard, you know that nothing grows faster than that which you don't want to grow. Nothing, I did yard work yesterday, miserable. A month, I don't pay attention to my yard and all the vines are wrapping themselves around my little plants. It's even worse in the spiritual life because the bad habits creep up before we know it. And they put a stranglehold on our life. It's just not hard to develop a bad habit. In, in, in the fallen world, it's going with the current. So in this soil, the seed does sink in, but as they go on in life, the plant is smothered by the cares, the riches, the pleasures of life. And so that it, it, it fizzles out and never ends up maturing and bearing fruit. It doesn't happen all at once, like the testing does in this impulsive heart, but it gradually, bit by bit, just kind of sucks the life out of the plant. Because the weeds that grow along with it are you know, stronger and they overshadow them. They're like a parasite or a cancer that surely strips away the vitality. So the cares are those over-concerns we tend to have, the distracting worries. It's not that we don't have worries, it's just they become kind of consuming. We get obsessive about them. You know how that is. And the riches, you know, we, we have an overabundance. Even when we feel like we have scarcity, we do. We have wealth and the treasures of our hearts, what we hold tight, hold dear, or pleasures. It's all of our enjoyments, all of our entertainments, even our, you know, our good things and our sinful things. Our, our sinful lusts are in here. A lot of good things are in here. 
the, the, the constant danger is that we make very good things into ultimate things and our life revolves around them to whether just squeeze out the space in our hearts for any genuine taking the word in deep. And so it's very important for us to assess how we're spending our time, what's occupying our time or the place when we have to just say no, a, a, a hard no, our, our, our sports, our our media, our, our, even our friends, our, our trips, our entertainments, whatever it is, are they, are they just crowding us in too much to where we're in danger of that precious gospel seed actually bearing fruit? Do we have time for, for prayer, meditating on the word, serving others, speaking gospel, communion of the saints? Do we find that we have time for that? Do we have space for that? Jesus saying you're in danger. The, the, the preoccupied heart is probably the most dangerous heart because the seed does go in to a degree. It looks pretty good to a degree, but it still does not end up bearing fruit. It's kind of the most tricky one. So those are three hearts. And you, know, you can react even today with the indifferent, the impulsive, or the preoccupied heart even today, but especially you're looking at the trajectory of your life. What, what, what's the condition of my, of my heart as I approach the word? We're called to examine ourselves, and then we go to the prepared heart, and the prepared heart is the good soil in which the seed goes deep. And the seed is able to undergo all those obstacles, those unseen obstacles. It, it overcomes them, it grows and yields a rich harvest, and it reaches the goal for which the sower exerted the effort to sow the seed. And there's this hundredfold bumper crop and so the soil symbolizes the heart that's prepared to receive the word. And um, we see the three responses of this heart as it approaches the word. So we encounter the word and we want to see three like elements of a good heart. And he says, first, this person receives the word with an honest and good heart or like a noble heart. And the idea is not he's better. It's not saying that he's like he's earned something. He's... He's saying he's being honest, he's being open, like he's, Psalm 103, search me, O God, know my heart. Like my heart's a mess, but I, I want your word to go deep. I want your promises, I want your warnings, I want it all, I want it. He doesn't put up conditions to the word or give room to the challengers. He, he's laying himself open, laying herself open. Second, this person holds fast to the word. I like that one. It's a strong word. Uh, it clings to, guards, keeps. Like, this is what I want. I'm gonna cling to it. It's not easy, but I'm clinging to the word. It's a strong word for faith. It's resting on the promises of God, abiding and meditating, applying. You know, it's like this missionary Friend, He struggled with depression. He became a Wycliffe Bible translator in a remote part of the world. And um, years he did that. Come to find out later in life, after he passed, his theme life first was when Jesus said, do you want to leave too? And the disciples said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. It's like, it's tough, it's tough, but I'm clinging to your words. I know they're true. And third, it's, it's, uh, he, he bears fruit with patience. And I like this because, you know, it, it, it doesn't come automatically. It's not the easiest thing to bear fruit. <laughs> we think of Galatians 5, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithful, faithfulness, self-control. But we, we bear the fruit with patience, with endurance, with perseverance. When it gets tough, we don't, 
We don't flake out. Like we don't, we don't leave it like it's not working for us. We don't go to something different. We, we cling to it and we bear the fruit with patience, with perseverance. We persevere. We persevere. And yet we do so knowing that in the final analysis, it's not us. Like a child going in the swimming pool, holding his father's hand, and in the final analysis, it's not the how strength the child, how strong the child holds his father's hand. You know, it's God holding, the father holding his child's hand. We know that God preserves us in our perseverance, but we're called to persevere. Perseverance never coexists outside of the realm of faith, like your responsibility involved. But we have this gracious redeemer king who's come from the heights of heaven down into earth to go after you. He's a powerful king, he's a gracious king. He wants a hundredfold harvest in your life and he's holding you tight. He's holding you tight. The one sowing is the one who cleansed a leper. He's the one who raises the dead. He's the one who goes to the cross. Bearing fruit is the best thing you could possibly do. This is making you who you were created to be. And he wants that in you and he's strong enough to realize it. He calls you, come to the word with a noble, good heart, cling to it and persevere bearing fruit. Because I want to give you the kingdom. I want to give you the kingdom. May it be for each of us today. How are we responding to the word? What's the trajectory of our lives? May it be this. May God add his blessing. Amen. Let's stand.